what students come to you knowing is a huge determiner of what they will learn because we build on what we already know. And if the foundations are dodgy, then everything else is going to be dodgy as well. Education neuroscience as a field is trying to bring together both of those sets of people. So if you think about if you treat them as separate, what you get is you get neuroscientists who are asking questions that will only pertain to neuroscience. So they're like, how does the brain do this particular thing? And then you've got education where they're um, answering questions that are pertinent to the classroom. One of the key things that we would always want to make sure we do is we want to like revisit and return to knowledge. We can never assume that like I taught it, they've learned it. We need to come back to it and revisit. I don't think that teachers need to read educational neuroscience. I think that they that what they would want is to benefit from the insights that are then translated through like my blogs, for example, or um, books that are written about it. I don't I would never like send someone a neuroscience paper, educational neuroscience paper to read because I just think that's a, that's a mean thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Qualified Tutor Podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest in the world of tutoring, edtech and education, and hopefully inspires in you the big change that each and every one of us is capable of. Qualified Tutor is an industry-leading tutor training organisation and online tutoring community for thousands of tutors around the world. This podcast is the voice of this community, where we aim to hear from tutors, Teachers, entrepreneurs, coaches, business experts, students, tutorpreneurs, and more from the world of tutoring about what inspires them every day, how they can help tutors like you, and what they've learnt about tutoring along the way. The question is, what will you learn today? Hello and welcome, listeners, to the 137th episode of the Qualified Tutor podcast. My name is Ludo Miller, the host of this podcast. Welcome back to regular listeners. Welcome to any of you for whom this is uh, your first time listening to the Qualified Tutor podcast. And a very warm welcome to our guest today, Sarah Cottingham. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's um, continuing on the theme of continuing on the theme. Uh, this was a recommendation for a guest given by Arthur, uh, who recommended Bradley, who then recommended you, Sarah. So there's a really rich vein of, kind of similar topics over the last few weeks, which I'm, I'm really, really loving. Um, so I, you know, obviously, I gather you know Bradley um, fairly well, um, yeah. which hopefully won't mean too much repetition of ideas and will more mean continuation of great ideas. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, for any of you listeners who, who haven't come across Sarah before, just as a, a little background so you know where we're coming from today, um, Sarah has a background in, in educational neuroscience and um, after a uh, very successful stint as an assistant director at Explore Learning, um, Teach First came calling uh, in 2012, which is uh, where Sarah trained uh, going on to become uh, uh, an English teacher. Uh, and then from there, Sarah... Uh, moved up to being um, a development lead uh, at Teach First, which involved 
training new teachers in 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 their craft um and uh, kind of after leaving there uh, sarah um went on to to become a teacher educator and an assistant dean at uh, the ambition institute where sarah is now um which involves designing the the npqs the national professional qualifications which help teachers really become the best teachers they can be and leaders to become the best leaders they can be uh, i guess is a, is a good way of putting it uh, they're a wonderful set of qualifications um and really alongside all of this sarah supports uh, schools and businesses by improving their understanding of psychology and education which is a bit more of the topic of conversation that we're hoping to have uh, today uh, and really how that psychology can best be implemented in working with children um so a really rich and and storied career, um, Sarah, and I'm very very glad that you're that you're here with us today. Um, Sarah, I'd love to start by asking, what's giving you reason to smile today, Tuesday the 25th of October? <laughs> what's giving me reason? Um, well, I'm just uh, I'm really happy to be here, really happy to talk talk to you about these these things, and also to learn um, a bit more about your world as well, Ludo, and like tutoring, which is not a world that I've kind of stepped into um although of course there's like massive overlap isn't there between um thinking about how teachers teach in the classroom and how tutors tutor um so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to kind of hear your questions and to, to kind of get stuck into that so that's what that's what's got the, the smile on my face today oh thank you <laughs> that's uh, that's that's very kind i regular listeners listeners will know that we uh, like to open up the conversation to begin with by looking back at those school days of our guests um and while i gather locating you know, actual school reports sarah might have been just a, a stretch too far you did have some amusing tales about your school days or actually about your partner's school days is that right yeah when you talked about school reports it was really coincidental because um we were just looking at my my partner's my husband's school report and um he's got a younger sister about three years younger and um, we were sort of comparing their school reports. I know siblings are often very different, but um, the stark contrast between their school reports was just hilarious. And I didn't know him at that age as well. So it really gave me like a window into the person I've married <laughs> <laughs> and what he was like as a child. And um, yeah, so his, his sister Janine, her school reports were like A star, absolutely amazing. She's the best student ever, could do whatever she wants in life like just the best like glowing school reports like any any parent would be would be proud and then my partner's school reports were like absolutely scathing I feel like teachers when we were younger were a little bit less like careful about how they wrote about things as well because this this form tutor had summed up all the subjects at secondary school all of their kind of reports into this like just like anger seething anger at how wasted his talent was and she'd written you know um uh Kieran must you know must apply himself if he wants any chance of getting into uh getting through his GCSEs in sixth form he, he is hopelessly wasting his his talent you know really like emotional language and it just like it in fact, I want to say that I laughed, but at first I just felt like so annoyed because it reminded me of the kids that I used to, some of the kids that I used to teach. That I was like, you can do better. We all know you can do better. So, um, so yeah, it definitely, uh, it definitely was, it was very amusing. And I like took, I took like photographs of it and sent them to, to all my relatives. So they know just exactly what, what Kieran was like as a child. 
who you're who you're marrying. Yes. Yes. So Sarah, are you more Janine or are you more Kieran? I'm definitely more Janine. Such, <laughs> such a goody two shoes at school. Uh, I was just saying to you, wasn't I, that it's the it was like I think my school reports would have been like should try a little bit less. Like just get <laughs> get a life, do something with do something fun after school. Don't read all the references. That kind of that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I was definitely more more a Janine. More of a Janina. That's a, that's a good moniker. Um, <laughs> so, you, you know, you didn't stop reading the references and you didn't stop learning. And now you have you've done a great deal of research in your life. You're co-authoring books. You um, have run the uh, education of teachers at, at Teach First and, and now at Ambition Institute, or, or at least you've been a large part of that, Sarah. Do you think what what do you think is the why running through that then? What, what do you think those school experiences and obviously enjoying learning have led you to where you are kind of today? Yeah. I think like my why now is probably different from like why I got into teaching in the first place and like my I think why I got into teaching was kind of um was like in like enjoying being around around pupils, enjoying like enjoying kind of breaking things down and like that I think a lot of teachers talk about that moment where they feel like kids get it and like it's it's quite a sort of elation isn't it when you really feel like a student has really understood something that you've said and I think that that kind of kept me going for a while and now I train teachers um I think like my why is slightly different um so it's it's like I feel like I'm affecting people who can affect many many people many many students so I think what what sort of drives me is like there's loads of good research out there which can support teachers in their thinking about how to teach. Can't tell them exactly how to teach. Nothing's prescriptive from the research and nor should it be. Um, but there's loads of good research out there. But I don't feel like it's translated particularly well and that we're we're not kind of supporting teachers enough to kind of translate this research into practice into their classroom so my why is like let's get better stuff better ideas um, to help teachers to do what is an incredibly difficult job um, in classrooms for tutors to do incredibly different difficult job to get students to really like learn stuff and for stuff to really stick and we've got this research and I feel like my why is kind of like that 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 real translation and communication piece which is why I started blogging um last year because I think blogs are an excellent way to force yourself to be clear you have to write concisely you have like no one will read it if you don't write really concisely and really clearly so you write about seven drafts of everything and you just make it as crystal clear as you can possibly do it whilst maintaining the fact that there is obviously nuance around these things as well so I'm driven by trying to communicate things clearly to teachers to people in education um, who, are, who are who are kind of teaching teaching students so they can hopefully uh, feel that they're doing it really really well that's as good a why as as we've had on this podcast. I, I, I'm the kind of question that's formulating is perhaps a bit of a, a, a direct one, but who who is the onus on to make that link between the research and the implementation more clear? Is it on researchers or is it on teachers to do more of their own research? This is a really good question, and I feel like it it um it kind of comes to another question which you you want to ask around what educational neuroscience is. So basically, your question there is like who 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 should do more of the work, who should do more work, 
the teachers or the other researchers well education neuroscience as a field is trying to bring together both of those sets of people so if you think about if you treat them as separate what you get is you get neuroscientists who are asking questions that will only pertain to neuroscience so they're like how does the brain do this particular thing or like you know how, how does this tiny minute process happen and like as teachers we don't really care about that and we don't really want to like plow through research papers trying to find some things we can kind of take into the classroom um we don't have time to do that I don't think well I certainly didn't as a teacher um and then you've got education where they're um, answering questions that are pertinent to the classroom and what the field of educational neuroscience is saying was why don't we both decide what those questions are if we both drive what those questions are and we try to come up with ways to research those questions, then we're, we're kind of helping like both fields and creating one field, if that makes sense. So then you end up with questions that are like, you know, the teacher's going, you know, I've got, I've got kids with dyslexia um, or um, I've, I've got kids who, you know, have got um, another particular need. And then you've got the neuroscientists like, well, we've got some research on dyslexia, but we don't look at it particularly in the classroom in related relation to materials that you use when you teach. How about we ask a question that combines those two things so we can get some really useful answers for the classroom? That's a, that's a really powerful way of, of seeing it. And certainly for our listeners who will be uh, either ex-teachers turned tutors or teachers who are still teaching and tutoring, um, that's a really important way of seeing neuroscience because it for many it might be yeah it might be kind of conceptually out of reach um so I'm wondering if you had some insight into what teachers and tutors and educators could be doing now to engage with uh, educational neuroscience a little bit more are there some some really good places to turn to or some particular kind of text to to look at so I think I think the best way to start if you if you're not engaging with cognitive science kind of generally and under that umbrella, I mean, like um, neuroscience and psychology, like cognitive psychology is probably to start with cognitive psychology um, rather than going straight to neuroscience, because I think cognitive psychology does a better job because it's slightly closer because it measures like behavioral measures. It's slightly closer to the classroom than um, neuroscience is. And I, I think it's pro- there's, there's such a rich wealth of stuff out there from cognitive psychologists that's a really good like weigh in um so for example the work of daniel willingham who who writes in the american educator but also has um books like why don't students like school that's often where people start because his stuff is really accessible we talked about the communication piece being really important his stuff is really accessible he's come up with a simple model of memory which is a really nice accessible way um into thinking about how memory and learning uh, kind of come together um uh, so I would recommend like his his work um but there's also some like there's like a wealth of great books that have come out um about this stuff um so um we were talking earlier about the inaction series so um Tom Sherrington um who is quite uh like prolific on Twitter he's brilliant and he's written um books on on uh Rosenshine's principles of instruction and there's um various books in this series which will give you a way in to different aspects of cognitive theories that kind of can help you to think about your teaching so I think I'd probably suggest starting with cognitive psychology and the accessible stuff that these people who are doing the translation are kind of doing for teachers like start start there um and then uh, and then kind of build from there 
I don't think that teachers need to read educational neuroscience. I think that they that what they would want is to benefit from the insights that are then translated through like my blogs, for example, or um, books that are written about it. I don't I would never like send someone a neuroscience paper, educational neuroscience paper to read because I just think that's a, that's a mean thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, their desk is full of things to do anyway. Yeah. Um, that's that's really really helpful. First of all, because um, listeners may not know really what cognitive psychology is, uh, and obviously these days a quick Google search can give you a, a, a surface level idea. And then obviously the the, the Willingham book or the uh, some of the Tom Sherrington stuff um, is that is that route into educate educators accessing it. Um, yeah. But but you touched on something really nice there, which was the the link between um, you know the field of cognitive psychology the cognitive science and memory which is uh not only a word that we understand more easily in in you know in the english world memory that's, that's something we all understand um you know straight off the bat but also tutors are constantly tapping into memory you know what over the course of a session over the course of a series of sessions what is it that my student remembers and how can I test whether they've remembered it or not um so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the science behind memory and maybe what educators need to know about that yeah so um yeah this what's really interesting is I think that I don't uh, it, for anyone who hasn't thought much about memory, um, I know you said that a lot, lots of tutors are, are constantly thinking about it. But when I was a teacher, I didn't really think about memory that much. I thought about learning, but I didn't actually really connect it with memory. Perhaps that sounds really daft, but it just it didn't really occur to me to think about how memory actually works. Um, so it's really I think it's really great that like um, educators are now thinking about memory and how memory works and how that feeds into their teaching. Um, so you can see you can see memory as 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 having a kind of, you you have a kind of working memory um, where you process information and that's got a limited capacity. So if you've ever sat down uh, next to someone at a dinner party and they've said told you their name and you've forgotten it within two seconds, then you you know like working memory it has it has quite a limited capacity for things. Um, However, it's supported by your long-term memory. So your long-term memory is kind of where information, where, where your knowledge is, is stored. Um, and you can more easily access um, things from your long-term memory. And long-term memory actually supports working memory. If we're using, if we're thinking about things we've kind of banked in our long-term memory, then we can hold more in our working memory. So the kind of the, the sort of takeaway from that is we want to build knowledge in long-term memory. That's kind of what we're all trying to do with our, with our students. Um, but when you first teach things, um, when things are relatively new to students, they're really fragile. They're in this kind of encoding stage where it's where the memory itself is quite is quite fragile. Um, so, you know, what, one of the key things that we would always want to make sure we do is we want to like revisit and return to knowledge. We can never assume that like I taught it, they've learned it. We need to come back to it and revisit so we've all probably had those frustrating moments where we've taught something and then two lessons later we've come back and then we've gone like, how how do they not know this? We went over it at last lesson and they seem to get it, but now they've just forgotten it. And like the importance of returning to things in different contexts and getting them to think hard about it um, is really important. 
Um, the second thing, the second thing I think that is like, it's probably the most important thing that I've learned from um, cognitive science is the importance of your students' existing knowledge. So what students come to you knowing is a huge determiner of what they will learn because we build on what we already know. And if the foundations are dodgy, then everything else is going to be dodgy as well. So those checks for understanding, checking what they already know and making sure you link to it and help them to build on it and give them time to make those links themselves such that they're kind of like knitting it into what they already know, making sure that it's like it's stitched together is absolutely fundamental to learning. Um, And if they are lacking some sort of prerequisite knowledge, and we've all had this where we're trying to teach them something complex, but they're lacking some of the knowledge that kind of comes before. It's like, you know, building with sand, isn't it? That you have to kind of go back and make sure that those foundations are in place as well. So that second point is, you know, what they already know is absolutely fundamental for what they can learn. Um, And then a kind of, you know, we talked about the revisiting piece, like retrieval is a really key, well, it's one of the most powerful strategies you can use, um, according to the research, for consolidating memory. I talked about how when you encode memory, it's quite fragile to start with. If you want to store it and stabilise it, retrieval speeds up that process. So what you want to do is teach them something, you know, get them to, to kind of connect it with their ideas and then next lesson the lesson after whatever it is you want them to get them to retrieve it from memory as effortfully as possible while still being successful and that can kind of help to um, stabilize their memory so I talked about kind of three things there like the importance of revisiting things the importance of kind of what they already know checking for it and building on it and using retrieval as a really powerful tool for stabilizing memory there's loads of other things to talk about but those are kind of three that that sort of stand out to me you've just modeled a perfect mini session you haven't given us too much you haven't you know damaged our cognitive load you've gone you've revisited the topics at the end of the teaching <laughs> you've, you've not impacted our memory and the only thing we need to do now is practice a little bit of retrieval you know after this session and that new piece of knowledge that you've just taught us will stick in the mind for much longer. That was an expert, Sarah. That was an expert. Um, I, I really love what you're saying there about the um, what students already know is a huge determiner of what they will know because that seems like such an obvious comment. But when we are the educator, too often we skip to what we know already and therefore what we think the student will go on to know, not what they know. Yeah. I've done it a hundred times when tutoring. Um, so and sometimes it's just hearing that you know said out loud that is that can be the 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 flick it's 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 been the biggest like penny drop moment in in my in my sort of thinking about learning because neuroscience sort of tells us that what you actually know determines what you attend to in certain situations as well so if you imagine you're teaching you know uh you're you're kind of you give them a text to read or you're you're teaching them a process in maths what I end up focusing on in what you've given me to read or the process you're modeling to me um is determined by what I already know so I'm likely going to miss some really important things that you know are important because of your great knowledge in it and you'll think, you'll think, oh, Sarah will, will definitely notice that that's important. 
but I won't because my knowledge is not so good. So just that importance of that wonderful, that wonderful skill that teachers have where they model things and they point out really explicitly the important parts of it. That's just like, oh, when you see a teacher model like that, it's just, it's joyful. And what they're doing is they're saying to the kids, like, you know, implicitly they're saying, I've got better prior knowledge than you. Here's the things that I notice when I see this. Here's the things that you need to notice when you see this, because you won't notice them because your prior knowledge is not so good. That's that's really powerful, that. Um, and, and such a good mindset for an educator to get into. Um, being aware of our own practice is, is as important as being aware of our students' practice. Um, yeah. Now, you, you've, you've talked before, Sarah, um, with, I think it was with Mary Meyer and, and Rachel Higginson about um, the idea of learning first instead of teaching first. Um, now that's people can kind of take that in all different ways but what what, could you tell us what you mean and understand by that and and perhaps why that isn't the way that we naturally view things in in education yeah so um so I'm lucky enough to to work as a teacher educator so I get to train to work to train teachers and work with them and it's kind of like how I've conceptualized teacher education in my head um so I used to go into to lessons or to watch um teachers teachers teaching small groups and and think about um you know what how are they teaching what strategies are they using is that the strategy that I would use is that the best strategy and just focus on what they are doing but I think if we reconceptualize it well, if I reconceptualise it, you, you might think this is completely obvious, but if, you re, if I reconceptualise it, teachers are there to catalyse the learning for pupils, right? They're there to sort of make sure learning happens and make sure it kind of learn, it happens efficiently. And, you know, that's, that's one part of a teacher's role. There are obviously many other parts, pastoral parts, et cetera, of a teacher and tutor's role. But in terms of the learning process, they're there to really catalyse it. So what really matters is not is that teacher teaching as I would teach? Are they using techniques that I would use? What matters is the impact that they're having on their learners. So what we almost want to do as teacher educators is refocus and think and look at what signs and signals we can have that things are benefiting or not benefiting the learning that's going on in that room. So that's moving from a teaching first approach. Like, What's the teacher doing? Are they doing it like I would do it? All right, I'll give them a technique that I use and see if they can use it to a learning first approach, which is what, how is what they're doing affecting what students, like the, the learning that's going on with students? So if I give you a concrete example, that might be a little bit easier. So if I go into a classroom and I see um, that a, uh, a teacher is... Um, they're teaching, but there's there are some students kind of uh, not paying attention. Um, they're kind of they're looking out the window or whatever they're doing. They're not they're not kind of focused. Um, then you know I I can see that situation, and by focusing on the learning, I'm thinking like there's an issue here, and it's with focusing attention. These kids are kind of not paying attention. If they're not paying attention, they definitely are not learning. What they almost certainly are not learning what the teacher is teaching so the technique that I need to support that teacher to develop has to try to solve that problem and the problem is that focusing attention isn't happening and I need a solution that supports them to do that and I can talk to that teacher about that and I can decide what that solution is if they're pretty new 
to their job, they may need me to tell them what the solution is, model it to them and practice it with them and help them embed it in their teaching. There are some teachers who they need to be high, the, the problem needs to be highlighted to them, but they can come up with a solution that works. And then it, it can kind of be driven by them depending on their expertise. And I think the, the idea is, is that it gives the teacher much more, um, uh, it gives the teacher, it, it, it treats the teacher as a, as a real professional because it's saying we're all working on these problems. Your problem in this, in this lesson is focusing attention. Let's talk about solutions that might solve that problem rather than diving in there and going, your teaching is not how I would teach. Here's a technique that you can use. It's quite complex. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's not complex at all. Do you know what's funny? When I first read that, what I thought it meant was an approach to how we learn, i.e. focusing on learning first rather than the way that, that we teach. It's, it's not too dissimilar from what uh, you and, and, and Mary and, and Rachel mean by it, i.e. it's an approach to how we teach educators rather than how we teach learners. But I, I love, I, I learned something huge just then myself. And I, I, I wonder if, uh, I hope the listeners did as well. Um, I, I think the way that you've explained it, coupled with um, just an understanding that it's to focus on the person who's learning, whether that's the teacher themselves or the, or the student, is much more important than how, than, than our methods or, or how we look as the as the educator whether that's as a teacher educator or as just a teacher um so i i think just that tiny it's such a nice little phrase as well learning first you know not teaching first um i think that will go a long way if people you know even if people don't remember anything else about today's conversation which would be um you know a disaster in and of itself but even if they didn't that that is such a, a, a nice simple phrase to 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 be used to to switch how you 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 educate um yeah rachel referred to it as like looking through a, a slightly different lens uh, i think that like that really resonated with me it was just because that was how it felt it felt like i was going in and watching teachers teach and then no actually i was going in and watching the effect of what the teacher was doing on the learners to try to diagnose what the, what the like challenge that that teacher's facing is and then mm. support with um like, sort of coming up with a solution basically so awesome really really um uh, lovely model there um sarah um to add to the list of models in this conversation already and now a brief word from last week's guest katie tyndale whose episode you might like to catch after this First of all, thank you to Qualified Tutor and to Ludo for inviting me to um, to join a, a podcast with you. It was something so completely out of my comfort zone and new to me um, and, and unlike anything I've done before. Ludo really made the conversation um, flow and it was great to think about things that, um, that perhaps I hadn't considered so broadly before um, and to meet a new community of people um, in a similar um, operating environment as myself, um, so working with schools. Uh, tutor groups etc um, it's a great chance to broaden horizons and think about things a little bit differently so thank you again for the opportunity I really enjoyed it now before we um, impart too much cognitive overload on our listeners um, 
There's just one final question, really, that I wanted to ask you, Sarah, um, which we ask every guest who comes on to to this show, which looks ahead to the future. Um, so we'd love to know, uh, Sarah, what's next for you? What's next for Sarah Cottingham? Um, lots of lots of really fun things, thankfully. Um, so I still get to work at Ambition, um, Ambition Institute that you mentioned earlier. And Ambition is a brilliant, brilliant place to work because our motto is keep getting better. And it's genuinely how we are. We're all um, massively um, into reading and, and kind of progressing and our thinking and making things clearer to teachers. That translation piece, I get to still work there, which is great. Um, I am writing a book um, for that in action series that I mentioned earlier with uh, Tom Sherrington um, and uh, that should come out next year and that's about a fantastic theory called assimilation theory by um, a um, educational psychologist called um, David Ashibel um, and that's all about like a theory of learning for how for how um, learners um, how we how we help learners to build vast bodies of knowledge so we're never asking kids to randomly remember facts and ideas. We want it knitted together in a body of knowledge so they can answer really challenging questions and think in really complex ways. And this theory speaks to that type of learning. So that's uh, yeah, really something I'm quite passionate about. Um, and I also get to write a book for uh, write a chapter for a research ed book that's coming out on, on cognitive science, um, which will be uh, really fun as well. I'm also part of them. Um, Bradley's uh, cognitive cognitive science network, which has been so much fun so far, uh, Bradley Bush, um, and his work is just continuing down that vein of like how do we really carefully translate great research for teachers so they don't have to spend ages and ages and ages reading, but they can get a sense um, and, and delve into some like accessible stuff. Um, so yeah, really recommend Bradley's work as well. And Bradley's episode, which was uh, last week's yes. episode. So if you haven't listened to that, do go and dive in. Next week's episode, we'll be chatting to um, founder of uh, a new tutoring company called Interjoin Teach, uh, which is kind of changing the way that we see uh, the connection between tutor and student. And that's a, a really growing international uh, tutoring agency. Um, his name is Omar El Dokani. So that that'll be a, a really exciting uh, conversation as well. Um, so do tune in for that. But Sarah, thank you so much. Uh, for joining us and for giving up your time there, there was so much in there for for our for our listeners thanks so much for listening to me i really appreciate it if there is one way that listeners can get in touch with you after this sarah what's the best way to do that um so i i'll give i'll give them two if that's okay so i'm, I'm at overpracticed um at uh, on twitter so it's uh, overpracticed with an s in it and i uh, blog at um overpractice.com and there's like a contact me page if you want to sort of ask any questions or anything awesome both of those links will be in in the show notes so uh, don't worry about writing those down um but sarah for one final time thank you so much for joining us and um, we'll speak again soon thank you so much bye then bye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Qualified Tutor Podcast. Whether you're a regular listener of this podcast or you've just stumbled across it, join the Qualified Tutor Podcast group within the Qualified Tutor community to stay up to date with our latest news, offers, workshops, and of course, simply to meet other tutors like you. 
Whatever your level as a tutor, our training courses will be the next step in your professional development. Visit qualifiedtutor.org training to find out more about our CPD accredited and Ofqual recognised courses, the first of their kind in the tutoring industry. Your student deserves the best tutor possible. Make that happen today by joining Qualified Tutor.